times that I'll have a message and I'll feel like I'm going to go ahead and instruct you guys on the way to go. I know I understand the topic. We're going to talk about the imprecatory psalms, and these are psalms that are angry psalms that release judgment. So uh, I am kind of out of my comfort zone because I don't, I can't say I necessarily concluded on this topic. So is it okay if, if your pastor doesn't know everything? <laughs> How many are glad your pastor knows he doesn't know everything? All right. We know a lot of stuff, but it's, sometimes it's useful. Uh, and when we talk about the imprecatory, everybody say imprecatory. Doesn't it sound good? I was going to call it angry psalms, but I thought, you know what, let's use a big word today and impress people. But these are psalms that articulate anger or cursing and invoke evil, violence, or hatred toward an enemy. I'm going to say that again. These are psalms that articulate anger or cursing and invoke evil, violence, or hatred toward an enemy. How many know why your pastor is a little uncomfortable about sharing this message this morning? But you're going to find almost a third of the psalms have, have some kind of imprecatory, some angry statements in them. So we're, we're not convincing you of anything that's not already there. But I want to start with a story, and you may have heard this story before, but there's a story about a bar owner in a small town who began construction on a new building to increase his business. The local Pentecostal church started a prayer meeting in hopes of keeping the bar from expanding. Work progressed right up till the week before the opening when lightning struck the bar and it burned to the ground. The Pentecostal church rejoiced the next Sunday that God had answered their prayers and struck down the bar's expansion. The next day, the bar owner sued the church, claiming the church was ultimately responsible for the lightning strike and the ensuing fire that destroyed its expansion. The church vehemently denied any responsibility in the demise of the bar's expansion in, re in the reply. As the case made its way into court, the judge looked over the paperwork, and at the hearing, he commented, I don't know how I'm going to decide this case. It appears that we have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer and an entire church congregation that does not. Uh, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to get into your word. We honor your word. We thank you that, Lord, people didn't come hear me. They came to hear you. So I thank you, Lord, that you would make alive your scripture today, make it a double-edged sword in each of our hands. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give God a shout of praise. He's good. Hallelujah. Woo. You know, most psalms do start out with praise. They start out with worship, even the imprecatory psalms. And there's a number of psalms that contain this element uh, calling for the downfall of one's, one's foes. Specifically, Psalms 7, 35, 58, 59, 69, 83, 109. That's where we'll be mainly today. 137 and 139. So I'm not making this stuff up. Sometimes I make stuff up on Sunday mornings. But this is actually legit. There's actually psalms that are, there. these psalms are going to scare you a bit this morning. Can I scare you a little bit? When we read these psalms, we're reading the Bible. And we're going to discover that there are, there are times when we're called to be angry. And anger is not something Christians do well. Because they're scared to death. They think it's wrong. I want to explain today about why the psalms are, are necessary, why these psalms are part of Scripture. And if you have a bulletin, you can fill in. First thing I want you to fill in, should we be slow to anger or no to anger? 
And I'm going to show you today how we're called to be slow to anger, but we can't say no to anger. We are called to be angry. Am I making you guys uncomfortable yet? The imprecatory psalms are psalms that call on the justice of God upon our enemies. I call these the angry psalms. Nearly a third of psalms have the imprecatory element. And as a pastor and someone who loves God's word and studies God's word, we can't just take those portions of scripture out, tear the pages out, can we? That would be wrong. It would be inappropriate for me to say, you know what, those just don't mean anything because I can't explain them. Did you know there's aspects of God in the kingdom that you and I have not experienced yet because of our culture? All right, a little quiet in here this morning. <laughs> So maybe there's something here that we need to recognize. 2 Timothy 3.17 and 3.16 says, All Scripture, everybody say, all Scripture, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be competent, equipped for every good work. If we want to be equipped for every good work, we need to know His Word. And when we stumble on something in His Word... We don't change God's word. We let God's word change us. And that's where we begin to study and pray through, Lord, what are you saying in some of these psalms? One of the books that I was studying on this topic says, we, can't, we can trust the psalmist not to mislead us into a prayer that in final analysis would be incorrect to pray. When the psalms were written, they were written as prayers and if suddenly a preacher says, no, don't pray those, I would say the preacher would be out of line to tell you that. Because it made the Bible. <laughs> these psalms are in the Bible. And so we have to study these psalms and recognize that uh, the, the, the scriptures teach us. They correct us. They reprove us even in how we are praying. And sometimes it's scary. Sometimes we get scared. Like, Lord, are we supposed to be praying like this? Psalm 86 talks about that the Lord is slow to anger. It says this, says, But you, O Lord, are a God of mercy and graciousness, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You know, and I don't know about you, but how many have recently applied for a job and you put on your resume, hey, I'm applying for this job, I'm hardworking, I'm reliable, and I'm slow to anger? They'd be like, you freak, You're not, we're not hiring you. What are you going to do, right? But did you know this is on Yahweh's job description? He says, I am slow to anger. And this is an interesting Hebrew idiom because in the scriptures, to be slow to anger means if you would, if, and I looked this up in the Hebrew, it means that God has a long nose. That's what it literally says in the Hebrew, almost like Pinocchio. What does that mean? Because anger, from the Jewish perspective, it means your nostrils are flaring. So the exact translation of the Hebrew phrase, phrase slow to anger, would be a long nose. A long nose means an, an even temper, temper. Flared nostrils are found on an upset person. So if you're breathing heavy and you're mad, your nostrils are flaring. And what the Hebrews, the scriptures are saying is that it takes God a while before he releases his anger. 
slow to anger. Put that on your resume. See what happens in our culture. They're going to reject you. So there's things about God's nature we don't understand. How many would agree? There's things about God's nature that we're learning and we're experiencing. And when we read the Psalms, we see that David especially is expressing his anger to the Lord through the Psalms. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brethren, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. Now notice he's, God's given you two ears and one mouth. So you should use the ears twice as much as you use your mouth. You should try a silent fast sometime, not speaking for an entire evening. It'll torture you. You'll have no idea how much you use your mouth. Uh, Psalm 1911 says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is the glory to overlook an offense. So anger, can I tell you this? We're called to be angry. There are things that should make your blood boil. And most Christians can't swallow that pill. I had a difficulty swallowing that pill a year ago. I said, God, I don't, under, I don't understand this. Because Christians are supposed to be nice. Pastors are supposed to be nice. Which means you don't say anything negative. Or you never shame anybody. Or you never call out somebody for not doing what they're called to do. You know, your pastor had to change his heart on that. Because the Lord corrected me. He said, Chris, you need to be angry about some stuff. You need to, your blood needs to be boiling over some things. I'm like, okay, God. But what's, what's the world going to think of me? You know, he doesn't care about that. He doesn't care what the world thinks. It's about being obedient to God. And if the Bible says, be slow to become angry, I need to understand that. So point number two, is it Satan anger or Satan anger? Right? Because you see an angry Christian, you're going to be thinking, I don't know if that's saint anger or that's Satan anger. Because most Christians don't understand what it means to actually be angry. Everybody say, be angry. Did you know Ephesians 4, 2, 6, if it, you just take the first two words of that command, it says, be angry. <laughs> As a Christian, God calls you, be angry and sin not. But we seem to focus on the sin not thing and not on the be angry thing. How many are with me this morning? All right? Because we don't get it. Now, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm just reading the scriptures. I haven't even got into the, the Psalms yet that are going to make you squirm in your seat this morning. Is that okay? I'll make you squirm in your seat a little bit? Because I laughed. I said, oh my, this is interesting. Is all anger saintly or satanic? You know, Martin Luther said this, I never work better than when I am inspired by anger. When I am angry, I can write, pray, and preach well. For then my whole temperament is quickened and my understanding sharpened. And all mundane vexations and temptations depart. So we're going to break some stuff this morning. No, we're not. <laughs> but we, if we don't learn how to walk in the motions that God has given us, can I tell you, friend, we're not going to be fully equipped to do the work God has called us to do. And Gateway will be an equipped church. We will be an equipped people. And we got to learn. We got to learn what the Bible tells us, even if it makes us uncomfortable. Even if I'm not the, the next big rock star preacher out there because I teach what the Bible says. Come on. 
Now, when it comes to anger, I like to classify people as, as three different types of fish animals. We have the sharks. I'm not telling you to be a shark. You know, a shark is always aggressive, you know, showing his teeth. I'm not telling you to be a shark. So oftentimes then people respond to the shark and they become a carp. They dive deep down low and they stuff their anger. They never, oh, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I'm not angry, you know. But can I tell you, we need to be a, a, a dolphin. Dolphins are, are happy, they're, they're bubbly, they're aggressive, and they stand up to evil. You know, when we, when we were at the, we, like I said, we, we showed up at the wrong day, I think it was the right day, where we were outnumbered 100 to 1 for the, for the baby murderers. We were there as the pro-life people, a couple of us from the group here. And so I wasn't a shark, I wasn't mean at people, cussing people, even though they were cussing at me and saying derogatory things. They even made fun of my hair. Now, come on. I'm like, really? You got beautiful hair. Come on, what are you talking about? And, uh, but you know what? I, was just, I, was, I wasn't aggressive, but I was, what's that word we use? Assertive. Yeah, everybody say assertive. I, I was like, hey, you know, they're like, well, you know, they're, they're telling me, you know, this and that. I would just say, well, hey, my name's Chris. I'm glad we live in a country where we can talk about these things and let's chat about it. Let's talk about it. And they'd be looking at me like, what? But I was, a, I was, a, I was assertive and I stood my ground and I didn't back down. Because defending life in the womb is worth defending. It's, we have to speak out and we have to stand up against angry people. So when we look into what these psalms are saying, can I tell you that as I've studied the psalms, I'm realizing that anger does something to our spirit. Can I tell you that? It sharpens us. It gets us focused on what we need to focus on. And there's something that makes it very raw and real when we become angry. And we cannot stuff this emotion out and call it satanic, my friend, because it's on God's resume. And we're commanded to be slow to anger. But that means that eventually we better get to that place of anger when things are pushed to a place that we have to respond. Can I preach to you today? Are you seeing where it tells us in Scripture where we've, we've pushed this emotion down? Because somebody has, has used their anger in the inappropriate way. Guess what? That's, that's how the enemy gets us to shut down. People misuse the spiritual gifts all the time. Does that mean we shouldn't use the spiritual gifts? No, that means we need to focus on them. Because the enemy's trying to shut, this, shut these gifts down. Oh, people have misused money in the church. Well, you shouldn't talk about money. No, I'm going to talk about money all the time. Because the enemy wants to shut it down. How much about anger to, that we don't... Oh, we don't want to appear angry. Well, we're called to come to a place of anger, but that's a place where it, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow burn, slow to become angry. But this is a time, I believe, where the imprecatory psalms need to be pulled out of our Bible and be prayed again. And you may not agree with me, and if you don't, it's okay, because many other great writers and people would disagree with what I'm going to share with my, where I landed, this is where I landed. So maybe you'll land differently, but I'm going to explain it to you from the Bible. If you look what they're doing to the American children today and not feel anger, you are a deeply flawed human being. And can I tell you, if you hear some harsh things this morning, I've been reading Mario Murillo. 
If anyone knows Mario Murillo, all right, you just, when he speaks, you just say, ouch, ouch, okay? So if anything harsh comes across harsh today, blame it on Mario this morning. But it's true. When we look at uh, sending, you know, men dressed up as women into our public libraries and our public, uh, public arenas, it's, it's destroying the mind of our children. And our blood should boil at these things. You know, why are there more LGBTQ children in California than there are in Ohio? It's not the water. Can I tell you where it's coming from? The indoctrination of the schools. And our blood should boil about what's going on. We're, there, our children are being led astray. And we are, I, I, I'm going I'm to let people know this is wrong and I'm going to call my leaders and those in a, at a place to do something. If they're not doing their job, you and I need to shame them and say, do your job or step down. It's not my job to do your job. That's where a lot of people get uncomfortable. I want people to think I'm nice. I want to, you know, I've prayed over the Indiana State, State House before. I've been invited. Do you think they're inviting me back? They're not. It's okay because I have one master. He's who I want to please. I could care less about a platform that someone gives me to keep my mouth shut. It's not going to happen because I'm more concerned about losing my country than I am about losing my job. I'm more concerned about losing my country than I am about losing my reputation or losing friends. This is the place we're at right now, my friend. So we have to decide today. You have to decide. I'm going to invite you to make that decision. And, and though the church and our culture has taught you, never become angry, that's unbiblical. Okay? Because we're told in Scripture to be slow to anger. It's a characteristic of the Father that He boasts about. There's ten things that God declares. He's gracious, forgiving. And one of those ten things He declares is, I am slow to anger. I got a long nose. But what that tells me is that he will get angry. And there are things that need to be, cause our blood to boil once again. And sometimes you need someone to tell you and point it out in Scripture. This is God's heart. This is where the church needs to be. So choose today to be politically correct or biblically correct. Choose. That's the next thing you can fill in. You got to choose. Because there's going to be opposition when you speak truth. And you have to be ready for it. You have to be positioned for it. And you have to be assertive in the truth. And not worry about the friends that you lose. The family that you lose. The position that you lose. The job opportunities that you lose. Because it's time. So we... One of the, the opposites that people will then say, but Jesus said, right? And, and this is where I understand where some people may push back. I'm not sure about that angry thing. I'm not sure about these imprecatory psalms that you're preaching about. Because Jesus said in Luke 6, 27, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. That's biblical. Now, the problem with translation is we have one word for love. In our language. In the Greek language, there's three, three words for love. And we oftentimes think 
then we need to love our enemies unconditionally. Can I tell you, that's not the love that Jesus is referring to. There's different types of love. I'm going to love people that I'm in covenant with differently than I love people that I'm not in covenant with. There's a different type of love that we show toward people. And because of this language barrier, people think, oh, somebody, we just need to forgive them and pray for their salvation. Did you know that there's different kinds of love? And there's people I pray for that are going against God right now, that I'm praying for their salvation. But there's other people that are hell-bent on evil, that I'm praying for their destruction to happen and happen quickly. How you guys doing? This is just where I'm landing. And I haven't even read you some of the Psalms yet. And when I read you those Psalms, then you'll begin to maybe understand. Now, this is the, literally the worst Psalm, the worst imprecatory Psalm in the Bible, Psalm 137.9. And it talks about the blessing that will come upon you as you smash the little ones of your enemies against the stones. That's in the Bible. Let's read it. You guys want to write a song about this one? Am I, you guys look like deer in the headlights. I'm just, I, am I showing you the Bible? Can I show you what the Bible says? Okay. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. Ouch. That's the harshest one yet. Where does that come from? You know, there are people right now in the world, and maybe because we don't experience suffering or despair, we haven't faced the injustices that some people have faced. That God is okay. That made it in the Bible. Can you understand what I'm saying? That made it into the scriptures. Now, I would have edited that one out. But I can't do that. So maybe there's a paradigm in me that I haven't faced injustice to such a deep place. Think about the, the blacks in Southern America. Think about the, the North Koreans that are suffering under communism. Think about the Jews in the Holocaust who watched their little ones be dashed against the stones, who, who watched horrible things happen. We live in an evil world. And God is not afraid for us to release our anger in our prayer times. Now, can I tell you this about David? David wrote most of these psalms, but he was oftentimes very merciful. He, was mer he didn't kill Saul when he had the opportunity. He didn't kill Absalom when he had the opportunity. He showed mercy on a personal level. But can I tell you that he expressed his anger. And I was ministering to people this week. One of the ladies, she, she was completely shut down. And I, and, and I went in there. We started talking. And um, she told me that her daughter was molested and, you know, and just went through this whole story. And, she, and I told her, you should be angry as hell about this. That's what I told her. Nice pastor, right? You should be. And if we don't identify anger and use it the way God calls us to do it, people are going to walk away from God and blame him for the problem. There are times when our, that our anger needs to be expressed and, and spoken out because of the difficulties that we've been in in life. And how many know... What is the church? What's the church's response to anger oftentimes? Well, just let it go. Just forgive. And the Bible, and especially in the Psalms, 
gives us some opportunity on how to pray. We look at the context of 137.9, and it's when the Israelites had returned to Babylon, and the Babylonians were mocking them. And they had, the Babylonians had come in and killed their children and raped their wives and took everything that they had from them. And this was the expression of the psalmist in one, what, Psalm 130, 37, of what he was feeling. But can I tell you that we need to have heartfelt prayers? And when you're angry, you need to release that before the God. You need to, that reminds me, we've got to have heartfelt prayers, my friend. We can't just pray out of some kind of rogue script. Like God wants you to feel. That's what's the beautiful thing about the Psalms. He's telling you to feel. And, and what he's feeling is what you're feeling. Now, if we were a people who had suffered terrible injustice, we probably could identify better with these Psalms and not reject them. How many would agree with that? Maybe, maybe I haven't suffered some things that these people have suffered, and that's, that's why I haven't expressed that way. And we see, once again, that we have a call, Ephesians 4.26, to be angry. There are times when God says, be angry, but don't sin. But we can't embrace the last part of that verse and not the first part of it. There's a time and a season for us to be angry. How many believe that there are people out there in the world who will not change and they will drag as many people to hell with them as they can? That and I want this is this is one of the concepts that I I am in agreement with that there are actually some leaders there are people that are in society right now that are hell bent on destroying America destroying free will destroying our freedoms killing people maiming children destroying our foundations of our country. And hell-bent means to recklessly be determined to do or achieve something. And wouldn't it be better if, if they were removed from this planet? These are thoughts that you can chew on yourself. But if they're going to bring destruction to this planet, I am not praying for their salvation. I am not praying for them to turn around. If God does that, that's fine. I'm going to focus my energy on praying that destruction comes to them and comes quickly. How many, how many got to see uh, Joe Biden last week? Go ahead and put a picture up of Joe Biden, please. And I'm just going to read uh, Psalm 109, and I'm going to leave his picture up. And you can, you can determine in your own heart right now, you can determine in your own heart what you want to believe about this psalm. I'm going to read the psalm. And you tell me what you think. For the wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty and let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May another take his office. May another take his office. I'm just saying, if it resonates with you, it's resonating with me. May his children be fatherless and his wife be a widow. 
May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May the strangers plunder the fruits of his toil, and let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. With my mouth I will give you great thanks, Lord. Does that resound with anybody this morning? Now, I know that may make you a little comfortable as it did me, but there's a purpose and a time. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And I just pulled out a few of these. There's a time to keep silence, and there's a time to speak. There's a time to love, and what? And a time to hate. A time for war. In a time for peace, he has made everything beautiful in its time. So we have to discern in our hearts, and that's what I'm bringing to you today. You have to discern in your hearts. What time is it? Because I have a lot of people tell me it's a, it's a time for love, Pastor. I have a lot of people tell me, Pastor, it's a time for peace. We just need to stick our head in the sands and pretend everything's going to be okay. That's not what Jesus is telling me. So we have to, once again, you know, as a pastor, Christians, we're not advocating violence. Can I say that? We're not advocating violence. Though David wrote most of the imprecatory psalms, he showed great mercy when he could have been vengeful. But can I tell you this? Christians must also not forget that we must defend our Constitution against enemies, both foreign and domestic. You know what that means? Is that the greater risk we're at right now is not the people that are away from us, not of foreign countries, but it's the people that are currently in office that are right around us. These are our enemies. And the Constitution warns us. And if we desire to keep our freedoms and, and defeat tyranny, we have to let people know that we are a people that's slow to anger, but there is a time when we will rise up. And this is, what I, this is how I would word it. As Frederick, Frederick Douglass word this, he worded it so well. Frederick Douglass was one of the greatest orators of his time. He was previously a slave, and he rose up to great prominence prior to the Civil War. And he said this. He said, man's rights rest in three boxes. The ballot box, the jury box, and the cartridge box. Now... If you believe, like I do, that the ballot box has been corrupted in America, and if you believe the jury box or the court system has been corrupted in our land, do you believe that? Then there's only one box that's left, and that's the cartridge box or the ammunition box. That's what Frederick Douglass said. So what we have to stand up for right now at this time is that if you mess with those other two boxes, we're going to mess with the final box. So don't mess with those boxes. Does that make sense to you? When you violate something as sacred as voting and sacred as our biblical foundations then you leave us only one choice. We are not violent people. 
But don't you dare touch those boxes. This is where we need to see a backbone rise up again in the church. It's where we need to see a backbone rise up again in our government. Somebody has to speak it out. And if God is directing the church in this time, he is directing us. And we must both defend because we have a generation that will follow us that will not experience the freedoms that we have experienced unless we stand up and we recognize what's happening.